Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for waking us up this morning. Thank you for all the many blessings you continue to bestow upon us. I pray that you um, be with us as we go through this material, allow our minds to be open and acceptant of it, and as well as to go back and implement it uh, so that we may further your mission for our church. And I ask these things in your most holy and precious name. Amen. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, for those who I haven't had the opportunity to formally introduce myself, my name is Hunter Pettis. I am the account executive for Lake Union as well as Atlantic Union, uh, but more specifically for this instance, Michigan Conference. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about Pathfinder safety. Obviously, that's why you're here. Um, there are some it's a little bit of a refresher for some things and there are also some other new elements to it especially regarding the fact that Oshkosh is on its way and on the horizon um, so there are some key elements that I'll touch on early in the presentation if you have any questions at any point feel free to ask um, since we are a small group okay um, so let's go ahead and just dive right in so of course this is dealing primarily with I'll, I'll, I'll kind of skim over the, the Adventist risk management, our ministry part, because ultimately Adventist risk management, we're here. Our ministry is to, to support you in all of your efforts. And in that, we try to kind of break that down into risk identification, control and financing. The financing aspect, obviously, is what we're most known for, and that's the insurance. But um, when it comes to the control and identification and minimizing the risk, whether it's for child protection, uh, transportation issues, or even um, just pathfinders in general, making sure that you have the tools and resources to get that done. So um, this session pretty much focuses on the moral protection and obligations of the counselor uh, to guard the well-being of each member of your pathfinder club. It includes a review of physical safety issues, um, supervision policies as well as any health concerns transportation issues which I think most of us I, I see some repeat students from yesterday's class so I think most of us understand um, or may have heard not to utilize 15 passenger vans uh, you have yeah and that's interesting um, can you elaborate on that a little bit yeah absolutely um, so 15 passenger vans um, on the on the the easiest way to explain it pretty much is that we've had a lot of a large amount of losses when it comes to 15 passenger vans and, I, and most most often it it tends to be the the ones that we all envision when you say 15 passenger vans is the Ford model okay. um, to give you a visual if you've been in a 15 passenger van before correct yeah. um, Actually, Okay, they, I think more or less they're kind of designed about the same. So the 15 passenger van, you get into a 15 passenger van, um, a lot of times the seats are, if you're riding in the back, they're all towards the left side of the vehicle or the driver's side of the vehicle. Um, that already creates an imbalance in terms of the weight distribution because the majority of people are, yeah. Um, usually when you're driving in a 15 passenger van, some, in some cases, there's more than actual 15 passengers, so it exceeds the capacity. Um, you also have an instance where people who are riding in the van, a lot of times those who are sitting in the back don't have a seatbelt on. Um, another thing is that you also have, a lot of times, the, 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 the roof of the vehicle is usually not reinforced. Okay. So 
it's prone to rollover because of the unequal weight distribution. So that uh, ultimately creates poor wear, right. the uneven wear in the tires. Um, so it's more prone to rollover. And when it does, the fact that it doesn't have a reinforced ceiling, it right. rolls over. You have a bunch of people on the back who don't have seat belts on. So that's the easiest way to explain it. Um, ultimately, it does boil down because I, all 15 passenger vans aren't designed equally. And some 15 passenger vans or 13 or 12 passenger vans um, are almost manufactured in the same manner that 15 passenger vans are. And I'm, what I mean by that is pretty much their dimensions. Right. So um, we've done some, some further research and, and I don't have it actually in this, this slide. I shared it yesterday, but um, it's, it's the wheelbase primarily. It ends up being the wheelbase um, if it exceeds 135 inches. Um, and then the overall, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank, but yes, the bumper to bumper length, if it exceeds, I think it was 224 inches. Yes, ma'am. So if it exceeds that, so you, so in some instances, you may have a 15, uh, 12 passenger van that exceeds that 135 inches. Exactly. So those vans, in some instances, are not. Um, could I get um, a question? Sure. The, I've seen a 15 passenger van that doesn't have. All, it has an island in the middle, in other words. So you have, it's balanced. Mm -hmm. What about those? So those tend to be a lot better. Uh, I think those are kind of like what? You're a sprinter van or something like that. I've seen, I've seen some that are a little bit balanced. Right now, um, the North American division has updated its policy to not use, own, lease, rent, 15 passenger vans in any, of any kind under any circumstances. Um, alternative vehicles that you can use is minivan, SUV, a minibus. Um, and this almost sounds contradictory, but 15 passenger vans, if they have the dual rear wheels. So, okay. Dual, mm -hmm, dual rear wheels. Then you can use them. They they have been known to be a little bit safer. And they usually have a reinforced ceiling, so they have this uh, turtle top is what it's called. So they have that that roofing that kind of shells up. Um, so those are also um, acceptable alternatives to your your. Dual rear wheels and turtle top. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, I've seen that all over Oshkosh. Um, you know, being in Pathfinders, don't have those things. It's like, okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, 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 and again, it boils down to the fact that um, it's not worth losing a life. No, it's not. Um, you know, it's for me personally, it's gotten to the point where even if I see someone with a 15 passenger van that's not even a part of our church, it's like, hey, you know, do you know about 15 passenger vans and the things that they're prone to, the rollover, um, and how costly that could be? You know, right. like I said, there, you usually have more than uh, your fair share of individuals. It, it, it exceeds capacity of the vehicle. And, um, you have a ton of people who end up losing their life in those instances. So no 15 passenger vans. Um, 
But getting back to the slide, of course, that was talking about transportation issues. We'll also discuss abuse and prevention and intervention, as well as accident reporting um, and response. So I'll try to touch on those. But again, if you have any questions while I'm going through this, please feel free to stop me. Um, so first things first, when you're going on a trip, communication is key. Uh, making sure that everybody understands what's going on, where are we going, how are we getting there, where are we stopping. Um, so as far as the staff is concerned, their first primary focus is knowing their assigned duties. If you're on a bus, how, uh, how many adults are in the front? How many are in the back? Who's watching who? Do you have, um, and I'll touch on this a little bit more, but depending on the activity, you know, how, how many kids are assigned to, to one adult? You know, uh, much like 15 passenger vans, all kids are not created equal. Right. <laughs> What's your suggestion of the ratio of kids to adults? Absolutely, so that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. If you could bear with me just a moment, I will get to that. Um, um, and I'll get to that. Because it's heavily dependent upon the activity. Um, and then in some instances, it could be heavily dependent upon the child. But I'll, I'll touch on that if you bear with me just a moment. Um, so staff, of course, is their code of contact, conduct and their responsibility in terms of supervision. So as we'll touch on in terms of, you know, depending on the activity, how many kids am I responsible for watching? Um, any disciplinary practices? Um, corporal punishment in America, unfortunately, is, is not <laughs> is frowned upon. Mm -hmm. What you do in your own home, hey, that's your business. Mm -hmm. But when, you t when it comes to other people's kids, I don't think you want to uh, open that Pandora's box, mm -hmm. to say the least. Um, emergency procedures, what happens in the event of emergency? Who do we contact? Who do we let know? How do, you know, what's the closest hospital? And this is um, not just for Oshkosh, but this is, hey, you know, we're taking our pathfinders out on a trip, we're going swimming or whatever the case may be. I'll give you a prime example. I've had some stories where pathfinders go out on a trip. Of course, kids, they, um, they always just want to be, want to have fun when they're with their friends. And um, there were some kids went on a trip, parents signed off on the permission slip that they can go on the trip but I don't think that they were fully aware of what activities were taking place while they were on the trip. Um, all the kids, they ended up going swimming in a river. Not a heavy current, but something where you need to be a pretty decent swimmer at right. least. Uh, one of the kids decided to go swimming uh, beyond his capabilities and uh, the super, super, the chaperone wasn't paying good enough attention and ultimately that child ended up uh, unfortunately dying because they actually could not swim mm -hmm. um, and the su supervisors were not aware of this and weren't paying close attention so the reason why I bring that up more so not to to make this uh, uh, a sad story but to to let everyone know hey this is what we're going to be doing this is what's going on is your child okay? Do they have experience with these activities and are, they, are you okay with them uh, participating? And then of course, having a trip schedule, knowing you know when are we leaving, where are we coming back, where are we stopping in between? Um, so that's for the staff and the expectations for the parents is, is not that much different. Um, they have their own expectations, what's going on, where are you gonna be, expected code of conduct, um, 
They need to have a copy of the trip schedule and provide a way to make contact. You know, if the parent is at work all day and, you know, maybe they work at a government agency, they can't have their phone on them. Do they have an alternative way for contacting someone? Do they have uh, another parent or a guardian or an older sibling that can be contacted in an emergency situation? Um, permission, ship, permission slips and medical forms. You know, making sure that you're aware of all the all the potential allergies that people have. Um, and then if you have a way to um, take care of those if they come up. So moving, absolutely. So personal relationships, um, pretty much what, what, what I mean by that is you have it, it kind of like guardianship. So let's say one parent has, has uh, guardianship over the child and one is, doesn't uh, unless the other parent says that they can. So you don't want to mix up and say, hey, you know, um, uh, in the case of emergency, you reach out to the father, which is not the appropriate contact. It should have been like the mother or grandmother or someone like that. So making sure they, that you understand the relationship. Yeah. Mm. Yes. 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 Thank you. Custodial parent. Um, make sense? Okay. So in terms of uh, outing and planning, there's, there's a little bit of pre-trip planning that goes into that. Let's just use for the sake of example that we're preparing to go to Oshkosh. Um, I understand that in some instances you may take personal vehicles, you may take a bus, you may take a rented vehicle. Um, in terms of the bus and rented vehicle, I highly recommend utilizing um, an, a company or organization that is nationwide. The reason why I say that is if you're using a bus or a company that's only local, and let's say they only have two buses and you're almost to Oshkosh, but it breaks down, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. Unless they have a, a contract or something with that, uh, to that effect of someone who's outside of their jurisdiction, you're going to have to wait until they, they go all the way back, contact the home office, if it's even available, right. to get you a second vehicle. Um, so utilizing somebody who's nationwide is best. Now, if you're taking your own personal vehicle and you're transporting pathfinders or uh, supervisors or anything like that in your vehicle, it's also important to note that in the event of an accident, um, your own personal insurance is primary. Okay. So it's important that you have the recommended state minimums and in some instances, maybe even potentially buying a umbrella policy to cover you in excess of that. This is not Hunter saying this and this is also not ARM saying this because we cannot say that you have to go out and, and buy those, um, uh, buy that umbrella policy or anything like that. But it's just making you aware that if an accident does happen that you have insurance in place to cover you uh, in the event that something does happen okay um, yes sir but, uh, I know that our church covers us in amount what is where does that fit in so the church covers you covers you if you're using the church vehicle um, if if for a yeah so it covers you if you're driving the church vehicle 
if there's an accident that happens um, in excess of the, the coverage for that church vehicle, there's other insurance policies that are in place. Uh, general liability is one of them. You also have, um, I'm not 100% sure, I don't believe Michigan Conference has it, they may, um, but it's activities accident. So activity accident is a policy that we carry that pretty much covers you for the entire year for uh, accidents that may happen on any trip. So if you're, you're talking about, we're just going to, to, to Oshkosh or we're going down the street for a picnic, you know, and this is a church approved activity, then there's also coverage for that. Uh, for Oshkosh, in, which I'm going to talk about in the next few slides, there's actually is an insurance policy for Oshkosh specifically for that. Um, and that would also provide additional coverage for uh, a number of different things as well. So does that help answer? Yes, yes. Does that help answer your question? Where did I leave? Where did I? Well, no, it, it's answering my question, but I'm, I'm just curious about how it relates to everything. So that yeah, I mean, it, it, it can become, I think I, I think I understand where you're going with that. And it, it can, it, it is, there's layers to it in a way. Um, you know, if you, and it also depends on that, what, what actually happens and occurs. But first and foremost, if you're driving the church vehicle, then that insurance is, is primary. Um, in some instances, your health insurance may, may come into play as well. But then once your health insurance uh, limits have been exhausted, there's general liability, there's, there's, like I said, the activities accident. So coverage is constantly being provided for you, especially if it's um, a covered trip. So um, yeah, it, it, it honestly depends on what happens, but there's, there's um, always coverage. And even if you're driving your own personal vehicle, because you're going on a church-sponsored activity, there's still going to be coverage in excess of your own auto limits. Mm. Okay. Yes, sir. So do you opt into that Oshkosh insurance by buying a ticket? Is that how you opt into it? I'm going to uh, let me go ahead and okay. just let me, <laughs> let me go ahead and hop right into it. So um, Oshkosh travel insurance. So the actual, how you would go about uh, it's not buying the ticket to, 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 hey, if you're saying I'm going to Oshkosh, it's a little bit more than that. So on our website, this is through AdventistRisk.org. Um, I wish I had a way of showing you directly, but you would go to our website. There is um, tabs at the top, and it would be insurance, and it should be travel hub. You'll have to create an account. But once you go to the travel hub and log in and everything like that and start a new application, you'll go ahead and be able to select Oshkosh Camp Campery Insurance for U.S. clubs only. There's one for international. Make sure that you're selecting the U.S. clubs only. For U.S.-based clubs, the cost per individual is $4.71. Okay. For Yes, $4.71. Um, yeah, per, per individual and with an additional 
$20 per application fee. So it's best as possible if you can get figure out who all from the club is going, um, super, um, Master Gods or Pathfinders, whoever, um, and do it at one time, then it's better. Because if you're doing it one by one by one, you're gonna have that $20 application fee every single time, okay? So, well, why purchase this? What does it cover? So for US-based clubs, the coverage includes August 12th, 2019, and uh, through August 17th, 2019, with additional seven days of direct travel to and from. So what does that mean? Uh, seven days before August 12th, mm -hmm. it's, it, it begins. So if you're, if you if you're driving. are driving there uh, to Oshkosh, if it takes you seven days to get there, hey, you know, you have coverage in place uh, until you get there. And then on the back end as well, from August 17th, seven days afterwards, you still have coverage in place to cover you for any direct travel, direct yeah. travel. So that means if you're stopping off at some theme park and, the, and on the way, you know, there, there's, there will be some exclusions there. But this kicks in after you have exhausted your other so this would, so say you're going to Oshkosh and it falls in between these dates, this would ultimately, um, well, your auto insurance first and foremost, if there's a car accident, um, that's going to kick in. But if there's an accident just in general, this would be the policy that would respond first. Uh, okay. Anything other than an auto accident, an accident, anything other than an auto, this would kick this would cook in first. So if you're submitting a claim, you say, hey, so-and-so got sick. Um, With the emergency room. Yeah, then you would go ahead and submit the claim and then automatically this make sure that we know, hey, they have this Oshkosh policy in place. Let's go ahead and make sure that, it, that this policy is the one that responds. So uh, it provides coverages for accidental death and dismemberment, dismemberment ultimately losing a limb, um, up to $50,000. Um, accidental medical expenses is also up to $50,000. <clears> emergency medic, m uh, medical evacuation is $5,000 and the deductible per injury is $25. So super low, super affordable. Oops. That's $75 or is it per incident? That is a great question. <laughs> so <laughs> it 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 would actually be, I guess in that instance, it really would be per incident and not yeah. necessarily, yeah, because you, you, you injured yourself because of one event, so it still counts as, as one injury. I mean, it's 50 bucks, is life-altering, but I was just curious. Yeah. That's a great question, though. Excellent question. Um, any questions there? How to go about signing up for it? Coverage is good. Okay. Uh, yeah, sure. Will this PowerPoint be available for viewing at another time as opposed to the online someplace? I'm going to see if I can make arrangements. Uh, usually we don't provide the actual PowerPoint. I know there is, uh, I can't think of the name of it offhand, but there are, if you go to YouTube and look up Adventist Risk Management. Um, we do have some PowerPoints, and I know one in particular is dealing directly with Oshkosh, and it'll reiterate all the information that I'm sharing with you right now. Okay. 
Any other questions in the meantime? We're good to go. All right, so let's jump back to, um, we're gonna get moved towards uh, Sonia's question, which is about supervision and policies and, and child protection. So the types of activity and in, in qualified supervision is what this really boils down to. So the suitability of the activity um, and the age group. So it determines, you know, if you're if you have a younger age group and you have a, a bit of a high risk activity, then that's going to determine how many how many chaperones you should have present. Uh, you should also determine the qualifications, ability, and experience of the supervisors. So if you're going swimming. You don't want to have someone like myself who can't really swim that well in the deep end right. supervising the kids uh, to try to be on lifeguard duty. Uh, just likewise, if you're going rock climbing or you're going horseback riding, you want somebody who has experience in it, whether it's somebody who's present um, at the, the, the grounds, wherever that's is being hosted, that they have that experience, or some of the chaperones as well. Um, because uh, it, can, it can really be a costly mistake not to confirm that there's people and chaperones in place that have those qualifications. Um, so this slide is not something that is set in stone, but more so recommendations. Okay, so you have for your pathfinder and youth, if you're having a low uh, low risk activity. Uh, we're going on a picnic. Recommended one staff to 25 kids. Now again, like I mentioned earlier, all kids are not created equal. So one to 25 may be unreasonable if you have little Johnny who's just a terror, uh, just by himself. So in some instances, if you can, if if you can get enough chaperones, maybe it's a one to one for him, and one to twenty four for for someone else. You know, um, just making sure that they they you can, you're able to adequately supervise everybody is what it really boils down to. Okay, um, so. A medium or mild risk activity if you're going I guess swimming hiking something like that uh, for Pathfinder again there should be one staff to 12 about 12 and if it's higher risk it's about one to four okay so one to one. <laughs> one, to one. <laughs> so that's awesome so um, yeah, so while, and then also while we're on supervision and then we're talking about Oshkosh and, and the, just making sure that everything's adequate, I'm actually gonna, if I may, pose a question. I'm assuming everyone may have some, some interaction with their, their local Pathfinder club. As far as camping arrangements and having adults in tents or out of tents, how have you, how has everyone been handling that? Okay. Is that unanimous? No. Okay. No, I believe our Pathfinder Club, there is an adult that stays with five, five kids in the tent. Okay. 
we yeah. have a mix depending on what's going on because we have hammockers and we also have family units that stick together so but there's an adult around a tent of youth that are by themselves so yeah because you the, the hammocker is put right outside one of the boys mm -hmm. yeah okay they make the boys hair and hand at it out between, mm, but not yeah. in the same tent. And uh, same thing with the girls. We don't have, we don't ever put an adult with the kids in the same tent. All right, fair enough. Uh, we have two different scenarios. Mm -hmm. So some with adults, some not with adults. If, I, if you can indulge me just for a moment, let's put our risk manager hats on. Let's start with no adults in the tent. How are we going about managing any inappropriate activity with the campers? Since it's between two tents, mm -hmm. anything going on, you can more or less hear what's going on in those tents because they're tent, they're just they're cloth walls, so to speak, canvas walls. Okay. So you don't put them in the tent, but near enough that they could monitor at least more or less what's going on. Okay. And they kind of have the same thing, and they're not allowed in the tents unless it to change or to uh, go to sleep or something. Most of the time they're out where um, adults are present. Okay. Okay. Anyone else? About the same. Okay. The other situation. Um, so you have one adult present in the, in the tent with the, the kids. Yeah. How do we confirm that everything is copious there? As far as inappropriate activities between adult or child, or so, so that's forth. That's a legitimate question. So yeah. there's a there's a background check, but I believe background check goes above and beyond the um, the recommended background check. Okay. Um, and it is it is trusted adults. Now, can trusted adults also cause problems? Mm -hmm. They can, yeah. mm -hmm. um, but not just anyone is allowed. To, to be a chaperone for the boys and the girls in the tent. Fair. But it is a legitimate question that there is a gap. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. So, uh, yeah, I just bring up that question to make sure that these are things that you guys are thinking about on both ends. Because either way, whether there are no adult or there is an adult, there is a risk there. Yeah. And so as long as there's planning in place for it, regardless of the situation rule that... Of rule of three. No less than three individuals together at one time. That way you have a witness yes. or you yes. can Now he says his guy that says in the tent has a background check. Shouldn't everybody who deal with pathfinders? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that is, um, again, that's a policy that's been updated yeah. just across North American Division. Yeah, so there are minimum requirements. I mean, there are background checks that you can do that go above and beyond those minimum requirements for checking. Would you care to share that? I, I, am not, I have not done the checks myself. Okay. I just know that when I have gotten involved with Pathfinders, that that's been required. Okay. Verify volunteers. Yeah, that's the minimum. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you go beyond that. There's, yes. all, there's also white pages, premium, <clears throat> that you can go in and pay. You, you pay. You right. can either pay per visit or per month and you can get records of all their activities. 
Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Do you have any others? Any other feedback? It is a risk. It is. It is, and um, it's it's <laughs> absolutely. You, you, you make educated, wise decisions, yeah. mm -hmm. and then what you can't control, you, you leave in God's hands. God yes. requires us to use our minds mm -hmm. and to, to approach it, and then He says, you know, well, I think too often there are people who just say, I just leave it up to God. Yeah. We'd be smart about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree, and I, I thank you for sharing that. Um, it is something that we can't mitigate it to the point where it's just not going to happen ever. Right. Uh, but the whole key of risk management is preparation. Um, as I shared in yesterday's seminar, you know, a lot of times, uh, I encounter a lot of clients and they, they view risk management as the people who say no to everything. Um, in, in, in some lights, that might be true. But a, a lot of times that is not the overall goal of risk management. Um, risk management ultimately was designed uh, in the business world to forecast and be uh, in preparation of financial crises. And in learning about it personally, I view it no differently for the church. It's about us being, as we say, good stewards. Mm -hmm. So if we know in preparing for uh, potential accidents of ha happening that could be uh, exponential, I mean, millions of dollars, going back to the 15 passenger vans, if we know just by using by not using 15 passenger vans, we could potentially have millions of dollars that are held within the church and use it for ministry to grow the church. Why wouldn't we do something to that effect? Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, Can I ask a question again? Absolutely, sure. That van that you said, if it has a hard top, the, the turtle top, and it has all this, do you insure it then? 15 passenger, and it has all those, Sure. So you you put me slightly in a between a rock and a hard place, oh, no. but I but I but I but I want to be completely transparent. Um, despite right now, despite the push to not use any fifteen passenger vans, if there is a church out there that has a fifteen passenger van. No, we still, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, again, we, well, if you're renting one, the recommend, if you're renting any type of vehicle, the recommendations to get the insurance from, from the, the rental car company, um, we still insure those vehicles on, because I mean, if something happens, we still want to ha make sure that there's coverage there. Um, but we do insure to answer your, to actually answer your question, we do ensure the the hard top ones. The, the, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Any other questions? Good to go. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the health history and the training. Um, I think I briefly touched on this, but. In terms of this kind of goes back to that communication between the staff and the parents. So making sure that you have um, 
all the, the proper documentation, so understanding each individual child, if need be, um, their health records. So if they have asthma, if they have allergies, making sure that you're aware of it, the parent has relayed that, that um, information, communicated it to you, and that you have been given permission to administer, um, whether it's an EpiPen or something like that, in the events that something is required. Uh, permission slips, we've already discussed that, but primarily permission slips is not the simple check of a box. It's not to say, hey, yeah, they can go and I don't care what you do on that trip. You know, if Johnny falls off a cliff, just make sure you bring him back in one piece. It's a little bit more than that, you know. Um, <clears throat> it's letting them know. We also get a copy of the parents' um, insurance card back in front, just in case there's, there's some, some emergency. We have at least information of their insurance. Okay. Yeah, we have a waiver or at least somebody, maybe not all of them, but that should hold uh, first aid and CPR certification. Um, it lasts every two years, if I'm not mistaken. Three, Three years, okay. Um, and yeah, just making sure that someone on staff actually has that and has that training as well. It is two years. Okay, two years. Um, so making sure that someone present on staff has that as well. So this kind of elaborates a little bit more. So permission and release forms, um, three specific purposes, of course, consent to participate, emergency medical treatment authorization and contact information, all the things that I've already um, spoke about. Be specific to the activities. So again, like I said, if, if they can swim, make sure. Uh, identify any potential hazards that kind of falls in that same line. Identify any medical limitations. Um, and make sure that's signed by the parent, the appropriate parent or guardian. So the one to, who actually can sign off and saying that the child can participate in said activity. And then having copies. So both the parent has a copy, the driver has a copy, uh, the group leader has a copy somewhere. Whether it's held in the vehicle, there's actually proof that this has been taken care of, okay? Um, I don't actually have follow-up to that. So transportation, uh, again, we've already kind of touched on this. So the significant, the significant risk, obviously, is do not use the 15-passenger vans. Um, you also want to make sure that you're selecting and screening good qualified drivers so based off... Yeah, absolutely. So that's an excellent question. So the North American Division has a minimum recommended age of 21. Um, if you ask me, I usually push that up to 25 because, I mean, even a rental car company won't allow you to rent a car unless you're 25. Um, but then, of course, it, it falls back on using your best judgment. A uh, 25-year-old may be the best driver, may be the worst driver. You know, it, it, a high limit. You don't want an ideal guy driving them. You know, that is a great question. One that we don't have a maximum age, 
but that is something that should be considered. Mm -hmm. um, that might fall in the realm of just making sure that they don't have, they haven't had any accidents um, or any citations in the past three months. Um, and I'm sure that you would know, you know, you would know the people you're having as drivers and you kind of know what kind of driver they are before you from. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, it, it falls back into using your best judgment, mm -hmm. making sure, you know, if you saw a um, 90-year-old hunter driving down the road and I'm just driving all over the, the curb like Mr. Magoo, then I probably shouldn't be the one driving. <laughs> so that's just, that's just um, using your best judgment, honestly. Um, again, volunteers driving their own vehicle, I think I mentioned this already, is making sure that they have their own insurance for their, their own uh, vehicle. Recommended minimum state, state minimums um, are, are recommended. The vehicle... Yeah, so, though, so each state has its recommended minimum. Um, so that's the minimum that they should have. But bear in mind, a lot of state recommended minimums are, is not enough insurance to cover a tragic accident. Um, and this is and this is worst case scenario, you know. So um, worst case scenario, if you're if you're looking at somebody who's been injured and you and they're thirty years old, family person can't work anymore, disability, you know, there there is there's a huge cost to that, you know. Mm -hmm. There what is it how much money were they bringing in in terms of income how can, how long can we project that they would have lived and worked and what m amount of monies are they missing out on and that's ultimately going to be the payout for um, not only their income but in terms of uh, medical expenses as well so when you when you factor those things in, that's why I kind of go back to utilizing an umbrella policy, which a lot of times when you add that to your auto carrier, it's minimal uh, additional premium. It's minimal additional premium. But that's just something to consider. Can't, I can't force you to get it, but something to consider. Um, vehicle maintenance, making sure that there's been a check of the vehicle, making sure that it's in good working order. You don't want to have any issues as you're driving down the road. Um, supervision in the vehicle, uh, I've also mentioned as well, okay? Um, all right, so I'm halfway through and I got 15 minutes left. All right, so it's, um, it's kind of a bit of a rhetorical question, but what is bullying? So bullying has three key components. Uh, a lot of times it's unwanted and it's aggressive behavior, a real and perceived power imbalance and um, it happens pretty often. It's not just a, usually a one-time event. It happens multiple times. And of course, it's potential to be repeated over and over and over again. Um, there are a number, there, there are, I guess in today's world, there's even more, but there are a few different types of bullying. Anyone care to take a stab at, at one? That's why I said in today's world, there's even another one. So there's cyberbullying, probably one of the biggest ones right now. Uh, what's another one? What, what was that? Physical. Physical? Emotional. 
There's one more I'm looking for. Sexual. Uh, sexual? Actually, there's even one more. Oh, no. <laughs> Spiritual? That's, that's a good guess. That is a really good guess. Verbal's actually the other one that I'm looking for. So, um, so you have your verbal, your physical, relational, or your emotional, um, and then cyberbullying. So it happens all the time. Would you be able to say that you are, would be able to pick up on the signs of bullying and know how to, to uh, act if you were aware of somebody being bullied? I see some head nods. I see a lot of head nods. Somebody would have to mention that because you wouldn't know what goes on online between two people. Absolutely. Because sometimes you can see signs. So I'm going to divert from the from the PowerPoint because I know PowerPoint can be so exciting. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. So you know, if somebody's being bullied, what what? How do we go about that? If you're around the kids enough, you can pick up. You know, we're. Yeah. And you've really got to stop it. Yeah. You know, you've got to... Um, I guess i got to be careful how to say it. <laughs> 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 I, uh, well, I used to be in the Boy Scouts and also with the Royal Rangers for Assembly of God. And you, you, get, the, you get the feel of what the kids are. And... Um, myself, I, I could, I could be a little, uh, what should I say, a little overpowering to some mm. kids. Mm -hmm. But if you let it go on, it's, it, it, it'll get worse. And so you got to curtail it the best you can, and and, and talk to the parents about it. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for that. That's yeah. that's great advice. When some kids are abused. Yeah. You've got to keep that line of communication open yeah. between you and that child. Mm -hmm. Because that child is already being bullied and he's afraid or she's afraid to come and speak to you or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you gotta you gotta you gotta make that connection. You gotta make sure they gotta have a safe zone. Yes. Mm -hmm. If they don't have that safe zone then they're not gonna feel like they can come to you. Absolutely. That's it. you bring up an excellent point. How do, how do, let's elaborate a little bit on that. So how do we have that communication? If the child comes to you, they feel like you're that trusted individual that they want to talk to, uh, and they make reports of someone's been, whether it's a, another child, teenager, or an adult, um, has been abusing them in some manner, whether it's bullying or physical. Yeah. Because I know there was one child we had that for their parents, nothing, so we stopped him from coming to camp. Hmm. So after he cried his heart out because he couldn't come to camp, his, his behavior uh, improved drastically. Because hmm. mm. he, he, he was the bully? Yeah, or, well, okay. I don't know if he was a bully, but he, was, he used to misbehave a lot. Okay. Sometimes he would bully his little brother and so on, but mm -hmm. he was a pain in the neck mm -hmm. because he was, you know, he, he just wouldn't listen. Right. And so he said, well, you can't come to camp because we can't handle you in camp. You, you take up all the attention and we have to pay attention to the other kids. We can't afford to have all our attention go to you. Sure. And that kind of woke him up. Okay. Mm, I'm going to come here and then to you. guy, but, you know, he was spoiled. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yes, sir. Uh, my first advice would be don't deal with it by yourself. Correct. Involve, involve other 
as it could go badly and it'll come down all on your head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you protect yourself as well as protecting the other child. Right. Right. Realizing I can't deal with it by myself. Right. Absolutely. Right. That's why we right. contact the parents first. Mm-hmm. Great point, great point. Excellent. Um, you have to really watch, though, when you're trying to deal with bullying, especially if it's between siblings. You know, it's worse than the typical sibling rivalry. You have to watch the dynamics of the family as well. Because uh, we've unfortunately had a pair of siblings um, whose family actually fed into the bullying. Hmm. So you couldn't talk to the parents about, hey, this child's bullying this child because this child was being favored more than... It, it just... Trying to talk to the parents actually fueled the problem. Hmm. So that's a really big problem to try to figure out how to stop this and not continue the problem. So you got to really watch family dynamics too so you don't encourage the problem further. Absolutely. I think you all bring up excellent points. Does anyone else have? Yeah, sure. you got to build a trust relationship with the kids mm-hmm. and the parents. Mm-hmm. So when you do talk to the parents, and well, of course, in your case, that's a different story. Right, right. But for the most part, if you come to the parents and say, this is happening, they can trust that you're not just picking on their kid. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. How do we go about... Um, Let's turn it up a notch just a little bit. So accusations of um, sexual misconduct. Let's just say in this instance, I know it seems like we've, we've, um, well, I'm gonna make it too complicated. So let's just say um, adult to child. There's been some, and let's just say, you don't know for certain. Right. Let's just say you don't know for certain. So it may or may not have happened. Right. This child may be making it up, may not be making it up. How do you determine, how do you go about determining, how do we, how do we process that? How do, how do we move forward? You can't, make the, you can't make that decision. It has to be done by a, a higher authorities than what you are. You need to report that to uh, social services or some, uh, even the law, because that's something that, uh, you know, because you, if somebody's making an accusation, you don't know whether that accusation is true or not. Mm-hmm. And it's not up to you to, to, right. to make that determination whether it is true or false. Right. So that has to be done by somebody higher than you are. <coughs> so you, you know, to protect yourself, you need to go to, you know, either the law or social services or report it to somebody and let them handle that from that point on. Absolutely. Um, so you, you hit a hot topic there, definitely reporting to a higher authority. Um, and separating the individual from the, the child immediately, even, you know, even if you think that, that it's wrong, you've got to make sure you, for the safety of both, mm-hmm. you know, to prevent further issues either way, so you got to separate yeah. them. Absolutely. And then the authorities who have the expertise will, will find out whether this kid right. is lying or, or whether this thing was true. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you don't have, because you don't have the expertise. We don't have the expertise for that. Mm-hmm. We are not trained in that. Absolutely. But they are. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, um, one thing I do want to add is if a child comes to you in that instance and decides to say, you know, feels like you are their confidant in that moment and say, hey, you know, so-and-so did X, Y, and Z to me and uh, I, I feel like you're the only person that I can tell. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, you listen. Mm-hmm. You listen. And you say, you know, and you don't begin to say, you know, 
get your blood boiling and say, I can't believe so-and-so did that. I'm going to take matters into my own hands because you can't, there's, there's no, as, as you've mentioned, it ends up being speculation and there's no confirmation that what actually happened happened. But you do document what's being said. If you can find out when did this happen, has this been happening for a while? All right, we're going to take care of this. And then you move proceed forward and communicate to the appropriate people because everyone does not need to know this information. Mm-hmm. And the appropriate person is not the pastor. It doesn't, yeah, and it doesn't always have to be the pastor because some, in some instances, <coughs> believe it or not, the pastor has been it's the one. Problem, right? yes. So, <laughs> so. Um, either, either way, you know, you want to protect the child and the accused, especially if, it, if the accused Actually, it's, it's false. You don't want to mark your character. Hey. So both ways, you've got to protect the individuals. Absolutely, absolutely. Any anything else to add to that? I'm good. Um, so I did have why kids bully. I think we touched on this. I just want to make sure, in the interest of time, that I get to everything that I wanted to get to, because this was. I like that one little bullet that I saw. I don't know if anybody else caught it, caught it but girls gossiping is bullying. That is bullying. That is bullying. Um, <laughs> and touching back on what was said earlier, uh, nowadays we have cyberbullying. Mm-hmm. And part of the, the... What can be a fuel to the fire, which doesn't help, is the bystander is watching someone being bullied and pulling out your phone and just recording it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That doesn't help the situation. That just doesn't diffuse the situation. If anything, it helps perpetuate it. Yeah, because now we're getting famous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, that's something that, that we also want to mitigate and draw back. Um, so all that being said... And I tried to tie the two together. I know we talked about um, camping arrangements, and then we also talked about bullying. We talked about um, preparation for Oshkosh in the event that some accidents do happen. Um, the ultimate goal, of course, was just to get your thinking caps on, making sure that uh, you're being prepared for all of the potential situations that come up. And it sounds like, to me, you guys have done or are doing an amazing job in, in preparation for that. Um, there are a number of resources on our website and a lot of the things that I've shared today um, are available on our website. As mentioned earlier, again, AdventistRisk.org is where you would go to purchase the Oshkosh insurance. Uh, I would recommend doing that as soon as possible. But of course, making sure that you have actionable plan across the board in terms of transportation, in terms of supervision, in terms of what do you do if you're bullying or you have a child that's just ram- rambunctious mm-hmm. um, because they, they do come across. Um, I just want to make sure. So on our, the resources are there. So actually there's Pathfinder Safety. So it's divided up by categories. So if you go to resources, a lot of the guides, a lot of the forms, a lot of all of the resources are directly there. Um, I do still Still have a little bit more time and just one thing that I do want to talk about, um, elaborate on is child protection. So one thing that I kind of wanted to draw 
um, to our attention is a few rules. So, and I'll, and I'll elaborate if need be, but the two adult rule, does everyone know what that is? Uh, two adult rule, if you don't know, is pretty much in, in any instance where there's child, children present, the idea is to have at least two, two adults present. That protects not only the, the children, but it also protects the adults as well. Um, that kind of goes back into that abuse factor, making sure that someone's present there. Um, but then it also helps out in terms of supervision. So if you have two adults present, you can manage and make sure that everyone's um, taken care of. Six month rule. Does anyone know what that is by chance? I see no's across the board. Six month rule is pretty much if I'm new to your church, you have no idea where I'm from. You have no idea who I am. All you know is my name but you know nothing about my background. And I say, I wanna come in and I wanna be the Sabbath school, uh, Sabbath school teacher. And uh, I was the Sabbath school teacher in my old church for 20 years. Why can't I come to your church and do it? The idea is to give that individual at least six months in your church, you really get a feel for them, you spend time with them, you really get to know them, you're able to have them go through verified volunteers. And you get an idea of who that person actually is before they can step into a leadership role. Um, you don't want to give that type of authority to someone who doesn't deserve it uh, or probably shouldn't have had it in the first place. Um, make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, we already talked about, huh? It's a little short, but it makes sense. <laughs> a little short. I would think at least, I mean, for me, at least a year. Minimum. It is a minimum. It is a minimum. Um, we talked about supervision, check-in and check-out procedure. Uh, this can actually get a, a little bit fun and creative. I've seen some amazing ways to do that. So pretty much what that revolves around is if I'm the parent, I drop my child off. How do I go about the procedures of picking my child back up? Um, one of the most, and why I say it gets a little bit creative is I've seen, uh, I went to a church and <clears throat> um, you drop your, your child off at Sabbath school and you receive a little ticket you know, like those raffle tickets. Mm -hmm. And if your child has an issue, they get sick, they have whatever the case may be, they also have screens in the main sanctuary. And rather than someone coming up trying to find you and everything like that, the number blinks on the screen. Yeah. So they have a way of showing on the screen that, hey, that's your ticket number, you need to come, something's going on with your child, either they're... Do you have a blow up of check-in, check-out procedures and examples of this? Because. To me, that's extremely valuable, your creativity, your, your history to know multiple ways to do this things because one way might work for one and another. So to me, that's extremely valuable. Yeah, it's, yeah I don't have any, any uh, resources through, our power, uh, through PowerPoint that, that elaborates on that, unfortunately, and I don't think we have it on our website either. But I, I, every time I share it, I just try to share the different ways that I've come across people doing it in different ways. Sometimes it's as simple as a clipboard, you know, like how I'll, everybody who's in attendance today, they sign in. When it comes back, they, the parent, the appropriate guardian signs off as well. Um, but it can, get, it can get very creative. I, I wish. I'm providing you feedback. <laughs> uh -huh. That to me, to blow up, would be extremely valuable for me for more than just pathfinders. I mean, if I go out with my uh, um, my wife, my wife's a teacher in the, in the STA system. Mm -hmm. They went out on a picnic, and they took out 
X number of kids to the picnic, and when they went to leave, there were five kids less. Oh, wow. Turns out <coughs> their parents had come and picked them up, so it was okay. But there was no check-in, check-out procedure there was no, as far yeah. as you trapped, you, try, you know. So to me, that is... That's huge. That's, that is huge. And, that, and that's a prime example of when it should, it, it sh should be utilized, you know, so you can keep track. Um, so I appreciate that feedback. That's something we should elaborate on. Um, in the interest of time, I'm going to try to touch briefly. You already know about the training and background screening, sexual offender agreements. Pretty much what that entails, and this is also on our website, is if you have a sexual offender that wants to attend your church, how do you go about um, incorporating them in the service? So do you, do you have, um, there's an agreement between the church and that sexual offender. Mm -hmm. They sign off and there's rules and yeah, parameters sure. set in place. Do you have a form for that? Yes. There is a form for that. Do they have to let you know when they come? Yes. yes. Well, yeah. Um, and, and, and this yeah. person doesn't have an office in the church. He just wants to come and attend. Yeah, they just want to attend, but they still have to. Yes, for risk management. That way they can they are aware. And not everybody is aware unless the church wants to make them aware, but the, the head officials are aware. Absolutely. Absolutely. So just last three slides to just... In order to make all of this work, the first step is, of course, leadership, making this a top priority. Yeah. Um, holding your leadership team accountable, insisting on implementation of training and screening, and insisting on implementation of policies and guidelines and procedures. Um, pretty much none of this is effective and none of this means anything if I come and do the presentation and it, gets back, and it doesn't get back to the local church and it just falls on deaf ears. Um, all of it, it just ends up being in vain. Um, and we don't, we don't carry the mission forward. Step two, of course, is to build the right fence, understanding the problems, developing an effective policy, reference check thoroughly, and establish a clear reporting structure and expectations. This all boils back to everything that we've all talked about today. Um, and then last but not least is effective supervision. Having that two adult, um, something I didn't talk about, but vision panels and windows is another, um, and windows and doors. So, you know, making sure that you're able to see into the room and see what's going on. Um, adults should focus on supervision without distraction, carefully monitoring time and the number of students in restrooms, something also that I didn't talk about, but something that I'm sure you're already aware of. Um, ensure areas is not locked um, and there's no roaming, roaming around without adult supervision mm -hmm. and anything like that. So, the church does well when it acts like the church. So I thank you so much for your time and attention. If you ever have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. Again, my name is Hunter Pettis, and thank you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org